Hi everyone, I'm Benji and this is the Daily Dose Podcast. In episode 2, I had the chance to sit down with Taylor Stewart to talk about her experiencing managing a COVID outbreak in a long-term care facility and her experience in leadership as a young woman. Some of the other things we will talk about during the hour are, what is a second paycheck and how do I earn one? What are the gaps in our current senior living model? How can we improve the life of our healthcare aides and other essential workers post-COVID? And some of her most impactful experiences working with seniors. Taylor and I have known each other for more than 10 years now. And although it's been from a distance, I've seen a young athlete grow into a strong woman each of us can learn from. So without further ado, here's episode two. How's it going? Good, thanks. How are you? Good. Good. It's good to see you. I appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, anytime. Um, how was your morning? Oh, so far so good. Yeah, it's beautiful outside today. Again, I know. It's crazy it's to think better. that it's December. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, really, I just wanted to have a conversation. I was kind of thinking over the last couple of weeks about who I wanted to connect with. And one of the things I've been thinking about is ordinary people doing kind of extraordinary things um Mm. especially with podcasts specifically I find people they always kind of reach for the sky like I want this famous person who's done x y and z and I I think we kind of overlook it a lot of the time it kind of creates this separateness and I was like what are who are some cool people that I know that are doing some some awesome things and um Mm -hmm. you and I don't see each other very frequently but we've known each other for a really long time um yeah and you're one of them I mean one of the most impactful experiences that I had was working with seniors for a year and a half and I learned so much Mm -hmm. from them it changed the dynamic of the relationship that I have with my own grandparents and other seniors in my life and I learned a ton yeah um you're I feel like you're the perfect person to to chat with about it and I I don't know if people haven't directly worked with seniors kind of one-on-one in that kind of more intimate setting I don't know that people Mm -hmm. fully understand it but in in traditional, um, I guess more like indigenous-based cultures, uh, the wisdom of elders is is a really common thing, and it's something that in North America we've kind of dissociated from. Um, when I started uh-huh. realizing that in more, I wouldn't say third-world countries, but in the in, in more indigenous cultures, they're extremely connected to their their older generation, whereas we're so yeah. dissociated from it. Most of us don't even see our grandparents frequently, and then in North yeah, America we we look at families. Um, that have three generations under one one roof and it's always yep. been something fascinating to me so I'm, I'm super excited to hear your your experiences I'm no longer working with seniors anymore yes. but I, I had yeah. so much I have so much affinity toward towards them and those experiences that I had yeah that's awesome so why don't we start uh, I told well, I guess I just explained a little bit about why I wanted to chat with you but why don't you share a little bit yes. about yourself and um, I guess the easiest way, because we're about the same age, the easiest way is why don't you break it up to before <laughs> high school, and then I know a huge transition okay. in my life was high school, and then talk about this the second half since high school. Sure, absolutely. So obviously going to high school with you, yeah. um, super involved in sports. So I mean, I didn't have a job in high school, so it was all sports. Played basketball, volleyball, track, soccer. Um, leading up to high school and a lot of my time was just spent on that so I go to volleyball practice at high school right after class and then I go to club practice in the evening so didn't have time to work but I think I really learned like all about teams and I guess leadership in a sense from sports and then after high school transitioned to university really had a little bit of an idea of what I wanted to do. And I actually initially wanted to be an elementary school teacher. 
Wow, that's amazing. So that had changed and I changed my major a couple of times and ended up with a kinesiology degree. And from that, I did applied studies. So I did three of them in university. So you do hours of volunteer work and you team up with a prof and you create your projects around what you're working on. So kind of like my first one, unit. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And my first one was at the, the physio gym at the hospital. Oh wow! And I really enjoyed working with the older clientele. So I specifically remember this one lady, she had MS and she would come in and I really just gravitated to working with her. So wanted to explore that a little bit more. So another one came up at the Alzheimer's Society. And that was really all about uh, dementia and physical activity. So I did a lot of research and did a little bit of work in long-term care communities as well. Then I did my final one in a long-term care community and it was all just activities. So literally the funnest time I had was just working with and doing activities. I would run fitness classes. And after that, I knew that's what I wanted to do. So luckily I got a job right out of university working with seniors. And that's just how I got my foot in the door. So I started in activities, got certified in seniors fitness. So drove the bus, did all the outings, fitness <laughs> classes, singing, everything with them. But I worked there for about a year and a half and I really realized, okay, I want to do what my boss does. What did your boss so do? I, so she was just like the coordinator of activities okay. and I was just her assistant. So I really wanted to kind of own the department and do everything myself. Yeah. Then an opportunity with that company came up in West Vancouver. So I applied, not thinking I would get it, but I did. So literally picked up my stuff, moved to Vancouver and it was a pre-open. So brand new building. And I oversaw activities for assisted living and memory care. So for, for the entire building. Wow. And then that's when I started to get the more leadership experience. So I hired an assistant, helped out with the dining room, all of that stuff, then moved back to Calgary and I led a team of 45 healthcare aides. So that was like a, a big, I guess, change in my career was from leading one person to now having a team of 45. It's a huge shift. And yeah, like huge shift. Yeah. And then where I was working, then I moved to a nonprofit and basically saw the oversaw the operation of 135 suites and the dining room. So really got that management like operations experience. And now I'm working at a brand new retirement community in Calgary. And it is very luxurious, very <laughs> expensive. <laughs> Um, and I'm doing, it's called resident services manager. So I'm overseeing, I mean, all the operational things. So payroll, um, invoicing, accounting, all of that stuff. And then I manage the concierge team. So it's all customer service. And we just had our first residents move in yesterday. No, so amazing. now we're going to be seeing people moving in and with COVID, obviously it's been different. Crazy. People aren't really looking to move, but yeah. we're working through that too. So that's where I am today. That's, that's super cool. And it's, it's funny because you played, I, I grew up playing sports as well, but it wasn't until yeah. about a year ago that I realized that I only really played team sports and I'm really, mm -hmm. I'm really solo, but I'm super grateful for my experience in team sports because it, there's no, there's very few work environments that I've ever been in where it's just a solo activity. Now I'm working from home and I'm kind of yeah. doing my own thing, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. um, but 
it really taught me a lot about working in groups and teams yes. and leadership. But then it's also uh-huh. funny because that transfer is not just into, I'm not even referring to the having staff under you, having 45 staff under you. It's when you're leading uh-huh. those activities for other seniors, because that yeah. is a leadership position. Teaching is one of those positions that people overlook. They think it's uh-huh. in front of people teaching, but in, in order to teach, you have to lead other, because you need people to follow you. Um, they said it's not it's not what you say it's what people hear and Uh a lot of what people hear is how you say it your body language and and how you lead Uh so it's really interesting Uh Um, I think the practical experience being in front of a group and leading a class is really important but it's cool to see how it it starts in in sports and solo and team sports and then it's kind of transition for you and now Uh it sounds like you're in a great position a beautiful it's in a really nice area I looked at the map yesterday um, and you Did you? It as, yeah, it's not as long-term care, but as supportive living. Yes. And before yes. you had mentioned that yesterday, I didn't even distinguish between the two. I actually think that most people, call them, most people call them seniors homes. Yep. And it wasn't until I started working with seniors that I even realized it's not like there's so many different, different types of seniors homes. Senior homes is uh-huh. just a broad term and it's not even applicable because it, it, n- none of them are called seniors homes. Yeah. So it's really, it's really cool. And it's really exciting. Why don't you talk a little bit about your early, your early life. So before high school, I know you're really tight with your, with your family. Um, yes. Yes. Very yeah, close to my family. Why don't you yeah. talk, talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So early life, I grew up too, as an only child. So that's unique too, in that sense. And my early life was all just about, I mean, sports again, right? Like my mom was always so busy driving me to all these events after school. And now that I'm older, I realized, holy crap, she spent yeah. so much time and money. Yeah. And I didn't even realize, right? Like I took it for granted. I just, and a lot of people don't even have that opportunity to play all these club sports. And I really did take that for granted. And that's something now being 28, now getting to the age where we're looking to maybe have children. It's like, wow, that's, that's a lot that my mom did for me. So definitely. Shout out to your mom. Cool. Yeah. Shout out to my mom. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Yeah. And and my early life was all just, I mean, enjoying and not really understanding all the implications of what we did. Right. It's just really just enjoying life when I was young. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's funny too, Uh because family, I think is when, when you work, it's interesting that you wanted to be an elementary teacher originally, and then you ended Uh up working with seniors because I won't compare, I won't compare seniors to children but one will one thing I will say they have in common is that the truest versions of themselves are when they're children say between you know up until six like up until six a kid doesn't have a filter so if you ever want the most (laughs) honest opinion ever go to that six-year-old and just ask them outright because they'll tell you Um, and seniors are very much the same way I think they have a little bit more of a filter but they're not afraid to speak their mind because they've experienced everything at that point they're on Mm -hmm. the I won't say like the last legs of their life but they're they've, they've lived such a large chunk of their life that there's nothing really to be afraid of anymore. And they're not really afraid to speak their minds. So it's really interesting that they do have a lot in common working with them. You can kind of tell children how it is a lot of the time and you can can tell seniors how it is sometimes. Well, and one thing too, so working in memory care, so that's with dementia, they do when they're at the later stages, they definitely refer, like they revert back to childlike behaviors even. Yeah. And so there are a lot of similarities when you're working in dementia care in particular. Yeah. 
I, I remember there was one, I'll, I'll, I'll finish with this story and then we'll transition a little bit because I want to pick your brain yeah. more. But uh, I, we had one client that I was working with at the, the beginning of my, my position at, with that company. She mm -hmm. wasn't diagnosed with dementia, but about six months in, she had then been diagnosed with dementia. And mm -hmm. it was really interesting over the year and a half to see the transition. But she, like, for example, with the filter, there was no filter. And, and I, I appreciated it because yeah. she would look at me sometimes and she'd be like, oh, you're so cute. And it was like, it's yeah. just nice that she would say such nice things because I know originally she yeah. was probably thinking them. But now she was in a position where mm -hmm. she could just say them. So exactly. It was really, yeah. it was really interesting to see see that transition so what is it because I know that you've been experienced with with sports and you you started yeah. with the teaching role and now you're in management what is it that motivates mm -hmm. you and passion and, and what's your passion behind teaching so definitely what motivates me is knowing that I'm truly making a difference that's my biggest motivation right and whether that's even work or personal it's just and I feel very grateful too because there are a lot of people out there that don't love their jobs and I am so fortunate to honestly look forward to going to work every day because I know that it's very purposeful yeah. and that I am making a difference, right? And I am very passionate about it, right? I, I do want to improve the quality of life to the residents that we have. And I've also accepted a role with um, Emerging Health Leaders um, and it's volunteer and it's a director of operations for the national team. So it's, it's making an impact in that sense too and giving back. Um, in a way that I'm really contributing to improving um, healthcare for emerging leaders, right? Mm -hmm. So definitely. And it's so when you say emerging leaders, is that kind of coaching young young leaders in in the same field that you're in? Yeah, a, a little bit. It's more broad, so it's definitely just emerging like healthcare leaders. So that could okay. be working in research, a lot of that. And there's different nodes, and Calgary actually has a node. Oh, and cool. they put on events every year, right? And you you can go to those events and network with people that work in healthcare, and it's really beneficial in that sense too. That's that's really cool, then. And it's so it's, I mean, giving back. Yeah. Um, I know we went to high school together, and it was just down the road from the Jewish mm -hmm. school in the city. So I know that you had yeah. you were, you definitely had experience with a bunch of us. But one of them in Judaism, it's called uh, tzedakah. And Sadaka is a form of charity and it's usually in a tangible thing, but really it's the opportunity to, to give back and share. And I think it's really cool at such, cool. A, such a young age where um, I know you and you're, you're passionate about it and I'm also passionate about um, giving mm -hmm. our, our time to things that we're passionate about um, and not really sticking a dollar figure to a dollar value to to time, I think is a big thing too. Yes. And you get that right, but not everybody does. No. And so it, it's so important though. Yeah. And it's so important to understand at a young age because we're, we, we go to school to get a career, to make mm -hmm. money. Like it's very, it's very, uh, a very static process a lot of the time, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. money, especially with the work that you're doing. Um, and especially when I worked with seniors, I was not in it for the money. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I got a paycheck, but the most fulfilling part of it was the, was the opportunities and the experiences that I shared with them yes. honestly learning from them I, I learned so much when I worked with those seniors for a year and a half and mm -hmm. I was also coaching other stuff coaching I guess general population instead of the special population and mm -hmm. that was the highlight of my day the, the hard part was getting you know um get 
coming up with the energy to, to lead and be expressive and, and yes. be my, I guess, bring out my more extroverted self constantly. That mm-hmm. made me feel drained. But the minute I started to feel drained, the experiences that I shared with them would fill me up again. Yeah. And have you ever heard the term um, second paycheck? No. Have you heard that before? So in senior living, especially, so we obviously get our paycheck. Yeah. But the second paycheck that we get, which is no money, but it's basically just the reward um, for doing the work that we do. We call it our second paycheck. That's amazing. That should be that yeah, shouldn't be just a, a senior's thing. That should be yeah. every, everyone thing. Because I yeah, that's amazing. I've, and I try and mm-hmm. right now I'm, I'm kind of like I said, I'm kind of doing a bit of everything. But the clients that I enjoy working with the most are the ones that do bring a second paycheck. Because it's the intangible Absolutely. stuff. I don't, I'm not yes, worried. Exactly. At the end of the day, I'm not, don't get me wrong. If I don't have money in my bank account, I'm probably going to be a little upset and a little stressed. Yeah. But if I have enough in my bank account, at the end of the day, I'm mostly concerned about how I'm emotionally feeling. Am I happy? Yes. Am I, am I fulfilled? Yeah. Do I want to wake mm-hmm. up and go to work every day? That's yeah. what, that's where the real dollar figure is. And it's super refreshing to hear somebody else our age talk that way, because I, yeah. I mean, we see it. I think social media is the biggest avenue to stay connected with people that, I guess we're more acquaintances, but not, not pillars in our life. It's really hard to see other people our age chase and chase and chase because it's heartbreaking to know. I mean, I've seen older people when they chase over and over again, what happens. And it's not the same with everybody because sometimes you chase and you win and you get the money and then you figure out the happiness after, but it's kind of few and far between. So it's super refreshing to hear, hear you chat about that. Yeah. Very cool. What's the, what's the best part about your job? Oh my gosh, that's such a loaded question. But <laughs> I think the best part about my job is one that I get to work with with seniors, um, but more on. So I'm more now based in an office. I'm not out on the floor as much like doing activities. Mm-hmm. But right now, so we also have a Bentley that's a, a chauffeur service for our residents. And really? I, yeah, I still have my class four. So Dude. I'm the driver <laughs> for that right now. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So I get to step out of the office um, and still take residents on trips, right? That they, if they need to go anywhere, they get 10 trips with their rent every month. So I still really like to enjoy that aspect of the job too. And then we have, let's say entertainment coming in. I do like to step out of my office and really talk to the residents and really enjoy those things with them. And knowing that all the work I'm doing on the back end is making a difference on the front end. Where did you, where do they like to go? Um, well, right now, I've just been picking prospects up to come in for tours. Okay. So if someone's coming in, let's say they're just coming to look to see what we're all about, I'll go and pick them up and bring them back. And then I'll drive them back home after. And that's so cool. Because I think one of the things that's missed, especially working customer service jobs at a young age, one, I think people forget, people need to experience the lowest rung on the totem pole or the ladder in order to to operate at the top and that's Mm -hmm. something that's missed a lot i guess with ceos today they need to start ground floor to see what's going on and but it's so cool because i think one of the important things too is also when you're in that higher up position is then to kind of go back and don't be afraid to step into that role because it's that second paycheck that you talked about it's really cool exactly. that you still have that up op- and you get to drive a Bentley. I've never driven yeah, a Bentley before. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's awesome. This really yeah. is, I guess, like a higher end, a higher end facility it, that you've opened up. The, the most high end that I've ever worked at for sure. Yeah. That's so exciting. Mm-hmm. So 
Yeah. I want to let's let's talk a little bit about before we kind of go into your experience. I want I do want to talk about your experience in long term long term care, especially during COVID, and that was kind of the motivation yeah. for reaching out to you. Um, yeah. But why don't we talk a little bit more about the practical experience you gained? Because I think that's something I know when I was especially I forgot that we both had kines degrees. I went yeah. into I got my kinesiology degree. I actually wanted to, I originally what happened was I wanted to go into, uh, get a BSc majoring in chemistry, but I, I loved chemistry. I wasn't a huge fan of the teacher. And um, uh, yeah. I, so I wanted to go into school for that. And then I chickened out a month before I was supposed to go to school for that degree. I was like, this isn't what I want to do. I don't know what I want to oh, do. And so I went yeah. to my parents and I was like, guys, like, I'm sorry, I got accepted, but I'm not going. And so I got a job and I worked for a year and got my puppy and all that kind of stuff. And then I applied for kinesiology mm-hmm. the next year and I got in. And it's so cool to see very few people who are in kines stay in kines. They kind of use it as a stepping stone to move into to other things. And yes, the sure. only reason that I ended up with a job outside of school too, is because I took a practicum placement. And mm. I, I recorded a podcast last week with uh, my mentor at the time, actually, and we cool. talked a little bit about it. So what do you, why don't you talk a little bit about that practical experience and how important it was for you to kind of learn the ropes before making it up and climbing the ladder into the position that you're in now? Yeah. And I think a, a good point too, so you saying you wanted to go into chem first. When I finished kinesiology, I kind of had in the back of my mind, like, okay, I want to go into occupational therapy. Yeah. And that's something that we're kind of taught in kinesiology is that it is just kind of like a first step, right? You do your kines degree and then you go apply for physio or occupational therapy or something to go do your master's somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did actually apply for occupational therapy and didn't get in, but I think everything happens for a reason because I wouldn't be as happy in OT than I am what I'm doing right now. Right. Yeah. So definitely that practical experience and working at that first kind of direct level entry position is so important because I was really the one on the floor all day doing activities. I really appreciated my role and looking back, I'm so glad I have that experience. And especially with to be the same level, let's say as like the concierge or the reception. So now I, I lead that team and I very much know what it's like to be in that position too, right? So I really know how to support them um, in a way, because I am very familiar with that kind of level of experience too. And I see a lot of you said like CEO is not having that direct experience and it, it's frustrating because they don't understand what you're going through, like in the community, right? Mm-hmm. Even one of the companies that I worked for that we had regional managers who had never had the role of basically that GM role. So not fully understanding exactly what they go through from day to day. So I think really going through like that ladder of the positions is important to understand how to lead properly and to support people below you. Right. Cause you had that experience. What do you think it does for trust? Oh, it's huge. Yeah. Right. And, and it really explaining too that you've been in their shoes before, right? Like I know what you're going through is, mm-hmm. is huge too. It's just to be able to relate I think is huge too. And I think the tr- the trust piece too is it, it, is, it allows you to be your true self, which I think is is a personal thing. I think there's a lot mm-hmm. of personal work that needs to be done to to challenge that insecurity that we all have yeah. and the anxiety and mm-hmm. um, somebody somebody a couple of weeks ago called it imposter syndrome where mm. we, we feel like we're not fit we're not fit for a role. That stuff yeah. comes through, but if we just trust ourselves and practice humility. It also plays into trust and then it's really leadership 
the end of the day. Yeah, and I'll be honest too. So when I kind of started moving up, like I was a young female with not a, a ton of experience. So it was also hard for people older than me looking at me being like, holy crap, like is she capable basically, right? Yeah. So really feeling like I had to prove myself more than other people. And I wasn't able to be my true self because it was such a competitive environment that everybody was trying to do all these extra things to move up within the company. So really feel like I had to prove myself in a competitive environment, but looking back on it, I'm very grateful that I had to do that. Um, and in my last role is the first time when I started that position, I was truly able to just be myself, right? I, ha I had to go through walking on eggshells and trying to prove myself, not really being me. Um, yeah. But I feel like today I'm able to be my authentic self at work, which is amazing. It just feels so good. So what, what, let's just talk, I want to talk a little bit about that because I actually, um, okay. for, for about a year and a half, I worked in a women's based or a women's feminist based organization, which was really interesting to see it with the, mm -hmm. the tables are completely turned. I think I was one of mm -hmm. 10 males on our administrative staff and I learned a ton. I learned a ton about the, the role of the, the feminine role or the feminine archetype in our society. And it's really interesting for mm -hmm. to hear you speak about it because it, it's funny I think generationally I'm at a point where I understand that you know you're just another version of me I, it's not mm -hmm. a gender thing or or a sex yeah. thing or anything like that so it's funny to hear you talk about it because it didn't even click for me to to, to think of um like you said a, a I guess a woman in a power position mm -hmm. and those dynamics yeah. so what are some of the ways what are, what are some things that you did in your life to overcome that imposter syndrome or insecurity yeah. And it was, it was tough. And I think the big thing too, is I remember when I was um, supporting the dining team. So that's when I was in Vancouver. So I, I was young, right. I was 24 mm -hmm. and I now was basically overseeing the dining team as well. And I remember in particular, there was this one gentleman twice my age and it was really hard for him to understand that I was basically the one in, in control basically. Right. Um, and he didn't have to say anything. I could just tell. Right. Yeah. It's just something they don't need to say it to you. You just have that feeling like, wow, this girl is now coming in here thinking she knows everything. And it was just that was like a hard pill to swallow, too. Mm -hmm. But I didn't let it affect me. I really just use it actually to my advantage and kind of work through it in that way. Um, really trying to see the positives of it and really not necessarily proving yourself. But I felt like I had to. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a challenge, but just really understanding I'm here for a reason. Like I'm in this position for a reason. They hired me because they see my potential mm -hmm. and then just like riding it out. And it's so cool too. Cause I mean, you spoke a little bit about emotional intelligence, right? Just being yeah. able to pick up on language. And I think, I think some of it's nature and some of it's nurture. And mm -hmm. one of the interesting pieces too, is when we we, we, for example, I never even thought about, you know, the, the woman in a power position, what the dynamics would, would be like, mm -hmm. especially at our age being younger. And yeah. it's, a, it's, it's all it is, is a story we've told ourselves. And then mm -hmm. the minute you, for example, what you said is you just broke the story. Like, it doesn't matter. I'm here right now. Yeah. It's actually yeah. a practice of being present. And once mm -hmm. you just get out of the head and the story, it's, it's not gender, it's not sex, it's not, you know, exactly. power or anything like that. Just be here, yeah. be who you are and everything mm -hmm. else to, will come to fruition and it'll, it'll blossom the way that it's supposed to. It's really cool that you, you did that. Yeah. 
and, and it, it's awesome now because I feel like I've really, I worked really hard at getting past that and mm -hmm. it's not even an issue anymore. That's amazing. Yeah. Imposter syndrome. Again, it's just another story. It's the same thing. Yeah. So let's talk, let's, let's move out of the, the personal, I guess, development leadership stuff. Let's, let's talk a little bit okay. about your experience in uh, long-term care, just in senior care in general. Okay. I know that it's interesting in, in Canada because this isn't something that's federally funded. It's very, uh, it's provincially funded. And you can correct mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong, because I'm just talking no, from what right. I know. Okay. Yeah. So it's provincially funded. So I, I speak to my grand, I have one grandparent, one, uh, one Baba, my, my grandma, we call them Baba and Zeta and Cheers. my Baba in Winnipeg. So she's in Manitoba. And then I have a Baba and Zeta in Ontario too. Okay. And the care that they get is completely different than the senior care out here. So can yeah. you, can you shed some light on the way the, the system works here? Some of the strengths of our system in Alberta, um, mm -hmm. some of the weaknesses, and then even going to more of a, a federal and kind of nationwide position. Yeah. So what's it's, you've kind of just hit it right on the head. So every province is run differently and they're, run with different standards and legislation. So when I worked in BC, it was very different than working in Alberta. And I mean, they have a lot of different policies and restrictions compared to Alberta. I'm not as familiar with Ontario and um, Manitoba per se, mm -hmm. but definitely Alberta, BC, there's a lot of differences. And even the levels of care are different. So in Alberta, we have the supportive living and independent living and then long-term care and assisted um, living, right? And so in there's BC, actually three tiers here in Alberta. Yeah, and then in BC, they classify them a little bit differently. So that's why when you're working with somebody, let's say in BC, it's really distinguishing the proper one for your province, I guess is, is different. Interesting. So yeah. can you, how, do you, how would you describe each level, each level in Alberta? Okay, so the very, I guess the very first entry level would be independent living, um, which now, so we actually have accommodation standards. So every year we have to get an audit um, that's okay. by Alberta, right? So they'll come in and do a full audit on every single thing we're doing to make sure we're operating properly and providing the right care. We're giving choices. We allow them to personalize. Um, they look at every facet of the operation. And so that falls under supportive living. So I currently work in supportive living and we're classified as supportive living because we offer a meal. So once you start to offer services, then you're classified as supportive living. Um, independent living would be more almost like a condo where they don't provide food for you. So it's completely self-sufficient. Okay. So that's like the basic independent living. You're living on your own and you're not accessing additional services in your building mm -hmm. um, then supportive living you're still independent but you're getting additional services like housekeeping meals activities okay. that sort of thing and then after that then it goes to assisted living and then you go to memory care with dementia and then there's obviously hospice care for end of life okay yeah, if that makes sense. It, it does I was just I was I've been thinking a lot about hospice specifically because um, there's okay. a I guess a spiritual leader named uh, Ramdas that I'm I'm really fond of, and just his path, and he was kind of popular in the '60s. And one of the things that he did, he actually started with research at Harvard with LSD specifically, and then got booted out of Harvard because it was quite controversial at the time. Mm -hmm. And then um, he actually practiced and volunteered at hospice to learn from people cool. who were um, on their way out. 
to learn from them. And it's something that's fascinating to me because, I mean, we could spend an entire hour just talking about death and I'm sure it's, it's, it's present in your, in your life too, because you're look at the end of the day, that's what, that's the service that you're providing is to make Uh things comfortable and accessible for people who are transitioning. And it's uh-huh. hospice is really something fascinating to me. So it's super cool to hear that, you know, this is a part of a, a greater system and to, to learn about the greater system and how, how each step on that ladder works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we talk, why don't we talk a little bit about what it lo- what it's looked like during COVID over the, over the last year, because you, I mean, you're opening a new facility during COVID yeah. and I can't imagine we moved, we actually moved homes at the beginning of May, but we signed our, we signed our lease two weeks before we went into lockdown in March. So I know how challenging that was to try and coordinate and organize all that stuff. So why don't you talk a a little bit about your experience, I guess now in your supportive living, how are you opening a facility during COVID and what did it look like in, in the long-term care facility? Yeah. So I'll kind of start with the job I had before this one. So we had 267 suites where I worked. So in one building, it was huge. Yeah. And so I basically oversaw the operation of half of that building. And we actually went into a COVID outbreak. So one of our residents tested positive. Um, The hardest part honestly, was that they all had to be isolated to their suites for a full 14 days. So that was so tough. It was room service for every meal. It was not being able to leave. No one was able to come in. Um, that was like, it was a full on lockdown. It was just, it was really, really hard. Um, and you can't really check in with them. I mean, you could call them, mm-hmm. but it just isn't, isn't the same. And they just wanted so desperately to maybe leave their door open while they ate so they could see the person across from them too to have a little bit of conversation so that was very isolating and the other thing being that they're only allowed to have two designated visitors so and they have to be essential so one could be if you need assistance maybe with you have home care coming in to do a shower assistance that would be deemed as one visitor Mm -hmm. and then maybe your daughter for the second visitor so for those seniors that have five children been living in calgary it's yeah. how do you pick two people? How do you prioritize right? That's been, them? It, exactly. And then the other thing too, that we've really focused on is technology. So really helping them communicate with their loved ones over Zoom or FaceTime. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really worked on that too. And we ordered a bunch of tablets so that we could personally go and sit with them um, to make those phone calls with them to make it easier for them. Mm-hmm. And I remember specifically this one resident her brother was in Rocky View with COVID and I was in conversation with the nurse and he was so kind to actually set up the zoom call with us. Mm-hmm. So the nurse assisted him and then she was able to talk to him. And I don't know if he, he lived through it or not, but at least they were able to connect without being together. Right. How big, how big are there, were there rooms in that building? Um, where I was before they weren't that big. So was it a bedroom so they living had space? A- yeah, but it was basically all in one. So, and that was um, um, subsidized, right? So that was um, a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. So obviously more low to moderate income seniors. So mm-hmm. that was obviously challenging. They didn't have like any cooking appliances in their suite. Um, they could have a mini fridge, but it just, there wasn't a lot there for them. And a lot of them didn't even have an external window. 
It's crazy to think. Didn't even look outside. It's crazy to think that, um, especially right right now with with the new mandates. Uh, today's the fifth, so the new mandates were saying that you know if you're more than one inside a home, you don't have anybody inside the home. There's at least there's two bedrooms here, a kitchen, and then a living space. I couldn't mm-hmm. imagine like just to think about having to be locked in one room yeah. with no in every one of the rooms in our place has a, yeah every one of the rooms in our place has a window. I couldn't imagine mm-hmm. it'd be yeah that's yeah. just the but thought what if of you're that. in a basement suite that doesn't have an outside like whatever right yeah and so that was really really tough and then after um it was actually before the outbreak when all the restrictions started happening and not as many people could be coming in the building mm-hmm. we had well i had a family member reach out to me saying her and a bunch of other family members that had loved ones in my residence they wanted to do basically a drive-by so we were able to bring some of the residents outside. We distanced everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some people were just looking out the windows. But we had about, I would say, 15 to 20 cars. And everybody had posters just saying, I love you, mom, or no. we miss you. So Thank cute. you to all the staff. And people would be driving by. And they, their loved ones would just be waving at them. And like the family members in the cars would be crying because no. they couldn't physically be with them right it yeah. was that was one of the most emotional days I've ever had at work because it was just it was so heartbreaking and sad um so it's really to be creative and find ways that we can connect them without being in person right and having that and connection and touch is so important for seniors right it's all of that is so important so without that it's it's how do we be innovative and how do we create other opportunities for them and it's funny because you say the physical touch is important to seniors. I it's I don't think it's just seniors. It's literally important to all of us. It's just one of those yeah. things like we're social beings. We're meant to touch mm-hmm. one another totally. and hug. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's really interesting. I mean, especially I'm grateful that, you know, I'm fluent in technology. I'm like I'm mm-hmm. technology literate, but I know it's such a, especially with my grandparents, I know it's such a steep <laughs> learning curve. I mean, I'm thinking, but it's funny, my two, my two babas, my two grandmas have adapted really well it's my my zeta who hasn't adopted at all and he, he loves and he loves the idea of using it um but not literate in it at all so um, my girlfriend hannah actually lost her her grandfather um a month and a half ago not to covid but co- the covid restrictions played a significant role in i mean he was in he was in the hospital so then how do you come and visit how many people can come and visit and and think I'm extremely grateful and thankful for the staff at Rocky View General Hospital in Calgary because they were so accommodating and they didn't break yeah. any rules. We, we all had to go um, fully dressed in PPE and our masks and then we swapped masks out and everybody sanitized. But um, her, uh-huh. her grandma was at a long-term uh, care facility. She had, they had just moved into a new building. Uh-huh. So then yeah. as he was, as, his, as her grandpa was trying to transitioning out, we had to find a way to get her grandma to the hospital and just all and then the funeral and everything and just yeah. it's unbelievable what these seniors are going through anyways mm-hmm. and then we also stack COVID and the restrictions on top of it yeah. and mm-hmm. it's it's heartbreaking but to be able to see to be able to facilitate those relationships I mean I almost started crying because it was like it was so cool to just see everyone have an opportunity to even be present Mm-hmm. all this was going on yeah. instead of it being like I'm super grateful because there was no isolation involved with it and but I know it yeah, hasn't been that lucky. easy for yeah I know it hasn't been that easy and and lucky for other mm-hmm. people 
I was the other part to the question that you asked about opening up a new place in COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say we're going to take a long time to lease up because of COVID. And we have that expectation that we're not going to rush in a bunch of move-ins and we're just going to take our time. Mm-hmm. And we were able to redesign um, some of the designs because of COVID. So we put in like plastic well, glass lines in the dining room to separate. We separated all of the tables. We stored furniture away. Um, so we didn't really have to go back and remove things. We were able to be more planful, which has been really good. And then for people moving in, it's such a, almost honestly like peace of mind coming into not a, a full building. So you're not gonna be around a hundred other residents. It's just gonna be you and the other people that have moved in recently. So it's really good in that sense because they should feel really safe and secure, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, that's amazing then it's funny because there's an opportunity in everything but i didn't think that i was mm-hmm. thinking you know there's gonna be such a challenge with everybody moving in but really it actually sounds like it's an opportunity because you don't yeah. have a flood of people all at once and you're like trying to herd cattle right it, to make exactly. sure that they stay separate yeah and our, our first resident so it's a couple that moved in yesterday and they actually came from a community that was an outbreak um so for them to be in a community in outbreak with a bunch of other people now they come in and they literally have ninety thousand square feet to themselves right now that's amazing so what pretty cool safe. opportunity then yeah 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 so i want to talk a little bit about the technology i think that's something that mm-hmm. you had mentioned too because i have i was i was thinking about how technology is such a great tool because because we're like i said we're literate we were raised with it right but for an older mm-hmm. generation they're not as not as fortunate what 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 do you think some of the gaps are with the technology and, and what kind of programming is available for seniors that, that help facilitate this? Because it's great that you have a facility that was willing to purchase tablets, but for example, that nonprofit facility, they're not gonna have the funds to purchase any technology. No, they did though. That was the nonprofit. Oh, that was they the nonprofit. Oh, that's amazing then. Yeah, they were able to do that because it's just the, the huge impact. And I think a challenge though is the having the manpower to facilitate and assist with those calls because like you said a lot of them aren't super literate and don't understand how to use it to make a zoom call right so i think there's still a lot of room that can be done in that area in terms of teaching them how to use it in a safe way Mm -hmm. and then like letting them do it themselves i think is would be a huge step in the right direction instead of having someone always going to assist them to do it yeah because that's 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 the tough part because we don't have 200 people to go and help them do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So is it something as you guys have moved into the new facility, is it some, do you have some, are you offering some sort of programming or stuff like that? Or we will. Um, but the two that have moved in, I mean, they're very independent. He uses his cell phone every day. So they're, yeah, they're kind of, um, blessed in that sense, but definitely as people continue to move in, we'll have to assess what that looks like. So kind of let's bounce back to that long-term long-term care because it, it, it sounds like it's been a lot of work leading up to today to launch that other facility but it doesn't sound yeah. like there's too much too much happening inside right now and very, people are very independent yeah. so what are yeah. i think one of the the like i said we we use the term senior homes like breakouts and senior homes but you've you've brought light that you know this is a very broad term it's kind of an umbrella term for all of them what are what are some of the gaps you see, especially in that long-term care facility? Because from an outsider looking in, I don't know what's going on inside. I hear stories about what goes on inside, not horror stories, but what are what are some of the gaps that you feel like you guys are experiencing in, in this field 
right now during COVID? Well, COVID, there's just, I think the biggest thing is just the how isolation is affecting them. And yeah. especially when you do receive um, like a high level of care. Mm-hmm. So maybe you're not able to feed yourself. You're not able to do these things. And how the heck are you able to facilitate a Zoom call with your family? Do you know what I mean? So it's really yeah. having those resources to have people assist with that. I think the people that are receiving a lot of care um, are having a really hard time. Um, but then it's the people that are in independent living as well, right? They're still exactly isolated. And it's it's funny, I went to an appointment the other day and this lady was asking me what I was doing for work. And she said that her her husband's parents are in a, a home and they were talking to her asking like, oh, how is the lockdown going? She's like, oh, well, we're we're not in lockdown, but people can't come in and people can't leave. So it's all perspective, right? So it's, it's how to be positive and not necessarily dwell on all the negatives, but definitely that interaction is the biggest thing that's missing. And it's really affecting mental health um, and just overall health, right? Because people are going to start to decline because of that in particular. So in terms of sort of resources, it sounds like you have all the resources that you need to be successful. It's just these are not tangible things that you you need right now and they need right yeah. now. Like yeah. physical touch is not a thing tangible. You can't put a dollar figure uh-huh. on it. It doesn't matter how many exactly. people you get in. So yeah. what are what are some of the ways, what, what are some cool stories, I guess, that you have that you your staff at, at either facility have been able to facilitate it? And uh-huh. and how are how are the residents adapting? To, to kind of this new, I don't like the term new normal. The new normal. <laughs> the new so, normal. At the beginning, it was it was so hard because it was also new. Um, residents were extremely frustrated. They didn't want to, they didn't want to follow the rules, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think they understood the, the impact um, basically in consequence of their actions, right? So we would have, people were still able to leave um, and come back, but then that was just restricted and it was for only not for only essential appointments or services that you were able to leave. And so we had sent out letters to everybody. We had talked about this to everybody. And I see one of the residents coming and holding grocery bags. So I'm thinking, hmm, he either went out on his phone or his family dropped them off. Best case scenario, family went out, dropped them off. But no, he went to Safeway. Um, and he was telling me these stories and I was like, oh my gosh, it's going to be, it's like, how do you, how do you get the point across of the impact into their health? Right. So it was, that was a really big challenge. And I had to give a lot of warning letters to people for not following rules, which wasn't fun, but it was something that I had had to do because they weren't following the rules and they were putting other people at risk. And there was another couple they lived in separate suites and she was very aware, very cautious, but he continued to go off site for non-essential things. Mm-hmm. And so she, I remember she had a conversation with me and said, I, I actually don't want to be around him while he's doing this. So it was really interesting to see the dynamic of people really wanting to follow the rules and they were getting really angry with other people that weren't because they know that it basically affects them at the end of the day. And you can't control other people. You can only control what you do. But how frustrating that you're working so hard to follow the rules, yet you see people going against it on purpose, right? When did you you start to see them them transition? 
where they actually started um, to, you know, follow the rules closely and you didn't yeah. have to give as many warning letters out? Well, that took a long time because especially at the beginning, it wasn't, it was kind of a gradual increase in cases, right? It was just, okay, we have a couple. Um, it was all just travel related. And then it was the, the transmission and community, right? Yeah. So because people were like, oh, this isn't that bad. We're not going to get it. Um, and then when you started to hear, okay, the increase in cases, the restrictions, I think that opened up their eyes a little bit and they started to get a little bit scared. Yeah. So once it kind of got to that point, it was a lot easier, but still you people wouldn't want to follow the rules. And we said that you could only have the two people coming in, but you would see people go across the street and have their family meet them and just not following the rules. And I, I look back on the families and it just drives me crazy because yeah. their actions affect their loved ones and everybody in the building. And you, it's interesting because you spoke, you know, I mean, I focus on this a lot too, especially uh, yeah. just with a little caveat with anxiety is usually anxiety is driven by things we can't control. And so instead, uh, one of the easiest ways to curb anxiety is by saying, I'm going to focus on what's in my control and not push my energy into what I can't control. And that individual yeah. responsibility, I think, is something individual responsibility and the individual accountability. I mean, anxiety and depression are rampant right now in our society, but we're always so worried about these external things. It's interesting that it's also come through in this where you can yeah. only do so much, but everybody shares their own individual responsibility, but everybody also has kind of their individual rule book too. And this has forced yeah, us absolutely. to follow a, a, a broader rule book in what's yeah. going on. And the issue is we know so little about everything that we don't really know what rules work and which ones don't work. And then everyone's kind of up in arms because they don't know what to follow. And it's interesting yeah. because then you have families that are involved with it. And families are kind of like an individual cohort that have their, their own rule book too. And I could see it just making your life awesome. and the staff's life just an ex a challenge. Oh my gosh. And another thing. So I left that job at the end of July and started this new role in August. Mm -hmm. So this was all happening like up until the end of July. Right. And yeah. I remember we were now allowed to have outdoor visits during the summer. Yeah. So you could have four other people and yourself um, outside visiting, but you had to wear your masks. Yeah. You had to be socially distanced, but do you think people followed that? No. no, especially family members. They weren't taking it seriously. And there was this one time, I kid you not, there were two residents, a husband and wife sitting outside, and they had about 18 family members all in close proximity of them, not wearing masks. There was little babies there too. Yeah. And I went over to them and I said, you know what, this is not allowed on property. If you want to go and be with your family, you can, but this absolutely cannot be done here. And it was just having those really tough conversations with people. And it's funny because I think one thing that's been overlooked throughout this entire thing is everyone saying, oh, I'm only seeing three or four people. But what they don't understand mm -hmm. is that if each of those three people interact with 10 people, when you're seeing exactly. those three or four people, you're actually seeing 40 people. And yep. that's what I think has been missed in this entire thing and that compound effect. And it's like a, the way a family tree works. It's the same concept. So it's unfortunate because it sounds like it sounds like your staff and, and you, you are staff. So it sounds like you guys have done did everything you can do. But it's like a teacher. See, the teacher can only do so much. The students you can only to, do what you can. Yep. And then so the, there's individual responsibility with the with the clients the one the the member i guess the residents the residents of the the yeah. building then what do you what do you yeah. think are some gaps because one of the discussions um 
that's come up quite a bit is with staff, specifically staff. Um, I guess they they named them um, uh, long long term care staff, the ones who are. Long-term care staff will bounce around from facility to facility. And early on during COVID, they were saying- They're not allowed to anymore though. They're not allowed to anymore. But so, which, yeah. is, which is great. I want to talk a little bit about it because yeah. I think it's actually a lifestyle thing. I mean, we talked about when I was messaging you the other day, I said, you know, you're probably not mm-hmm. really deemed an essential worker, but you're a hundred percent an essential worker. Like these people need yeah. you to survive and to live properly. So yeah. they're, they're not allowed exactly. bouncing around from and facility. It's, it's their home. Yeah, yeah, it's a good way to put it. It is their home. It's not a facility. Yeah. It's a home. Um, so we have to be working, right? Because they yeah. live there. Yeah. So with yeah. with those staff, because they're no longer allowed to to bounce around from facility to facility, what do you think is something that, that should or could change in the long run? Because that's a bigger problem. You know, COVID's, COVID's a thing now, but the fact that we even have staff that can't be dedicated to one facility, in my eyes, is a problem. They shouldn't need mm-hmm. to work four jobs in order to, to live a life, especially if they're doing the same four things in each role. So what do you think, what do you think some things, what do you think we can do? Cause you're in a, at a managerial level now. What do you think are some yeah. things we can do to, to, I mean, improve their quality of life to make sure that we're yeah, not well, putting them in compromising positions. Yeah. And, and that's a, you, you make a really good point there. It's because a lot of people, let's say healthcare aides mm-hmm. um, in particular, a lot of them come from other countries And they come here to really have an opportunity. And that means they have to have a couple jobs. And now with COVID, they're only, they're only able to work in one like supportive living or long-term care site. Right. So they're not able to fulfill their duties elsewhere. Um, So income is a really big thing for sure right now. Um, Yeah, it's, it's, it's really tough. And I don't really think there is, a solution because we can only offer so much to them, yeah. right? So we can give them their full-time hours, but they're not able to be gaining the other hours they would be receiving at another site, right? And it's challenging to think long, long-term long because I mean, I even think about mm-hmm. grocery workers and I was somebody who early on in my career worked customer service and retail jobs. I, I, I worked at a superstore, yeah. for example, and we, we, I think coming out of this, we really need to look at what's an essential service, how we're paying people and compensating people because it's not, it's skewed right yeah. now. It's not representative yeah. of what we need. We need, for example, those families that you were talking about, mm-hmm. those families have put their other family or encouraged their other family to go into these homes that our province yeah. supports. Then they need to understand that if they're putting them into a home, we need staff there. And in order this, for the staff yeah. to be there in one space to make sure that their family's safe, we need to pay them better. Like they, they need to be compensated. A second paycheck I will do it agree. for yeah. fulfillment, but that first paycheck yeah. needs to cover the basics. It needs to. It, exactly. Like that's, I mean, you make such a good point. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing too, it said, so these workers, if they develop any symptoms, they can't come to work. Yeah. And so now they're, yeah. they're at home. Right. And I, I'm sure they're now because things have changed again. Right. It's you're maybe using your sick time or you're not getting paid for your entire time off. So that's another huge thing for income. So if you could change if you could change one thing, just one thing about the way we 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 operate in 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 long term care. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, just in, let's just focus in long-term care. If you could change one thing, because COVID, I don't think has changed. COVID hasn't changed anything in my eyes. COVID has just highlighted where our gaps are. 
it's changed mm-hmm. the way we live and everything, but it's there, we're having bigger bigger issues with this right now that it's really come out. I mean, federal regulation is a big one. How does our government regulate stuff like this? Individual responsibility. Mm-hmm. When does it start? When does it end mm-hmm. with our individual self? And when do we start taking care of our communities? Vaccination is going to be one big thing over the next few months. Mm-hmm. I've actually been listening to a lot about vaccination. Is what's that going to look like? Yeah. So if you if you could change one yeah, thing, yeah. I mean, anything with like without money being a concern. Anything. <laughs> I money think could be money could be, actually be the driving part in it. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing would be to compensate more. Just kind of what we've been talking about. So it's it's yeah. really these people that have to be at work, um, yeah. really giving them more money and making them feel appreciated because too, they're putting they're self at risk too by working in these environments and especially you see all the workers in these these outbreak places so there you see cases where there's 20 plus cases at long-term care or supportive living and it's those workers going in day in and day out knowing they're going into an outbreak place but that it's they're essential and they they need to be there um so it's i wish we could just pay people more yeah me too and and it's not just people yeah. in long-term care facilities. It's making sure we're looking at what is essential moving forward. You know, we can't live. Mm-hmm. COVID doesn't matter if we can't eat, right? And so that means yep. that the ones who are providing the things that we eat are essential. And we need to shift. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be a big shift over these next couple of years. I'm hoping that it happens, especially generationally. I think there's going to be a huge shift over the next 10 to 20 years. I really hope that we can we can move mm-hmm. that direction. Um, okay, let's end with something just because that got a little heavy. All right, because <laughs> it's it's challenging and <laughs> yeah. it's it's working with seniors is a it's, yeah. a it's fun and everything, but it does it's a catch twenty two. It's a double edged sword. It has both ends. It is. That's why I wanted to. And it's emotionally you. draining. It is sometimes too, right? It's just I remember, with just with that outbreak, just the emotions and just the heaviness that I would come home with every day. It was really hard. Yeah. So let's end on a higher yeah. note, okay? I wanna. I'm gonna start by telling a quick, okay. quick story about my my best experience okay. working working with seniors. Uh, that's kind of, I guess, PG because there was a lot of like rated R kind of <laughs> mo- moments. Oh, yeah. that I don't. I'm not gonna name names or anything, but there is yeah, yeah. some borderline stuff. Let's just say. But yep. one of them was I was I was teaching um, senior activity classes, senior based fitness classes, and 95 yeah. percent of the classes were seated. And I was just sitting there being mm-hmm. like, these seniors aren't going to have problems when they're sitting. They're going to have problems when they're standing. So if we want to do part of the yeah. class seated, they're seated. That's great. But we need to we need to get them up and moving because when they're mm-hmm. up and moving, they need that energy. Then they don't need it when they're sitting. They're sitting enough. And one of the things yeah. that I realized is is seniors can tend tend to be fear driven, not because they're scared of they're scared of the uncertainty that, for example, for a fall. Okay, I, I yes, did not realize huge. that fall prevention and fall management was such a fear, not just in one senior, I'm talking like a group of 30 where they were all scared of falling, because they had experienced yep. it themselves, or they had had a friend who had fallen and, and couldn't get up. It's, it's mm-hmm. really just out of the commercial with the, um, I can't think of what the name is now. Yeah, ex- yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's like, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. And so I can't what, get up, yeah. So what I did was I started focusing on daily acts of living. So we would do gait. So how people walk Uh was a big one because all of them were um, using these walkers that would 
um, it would prevent any kind of stability because it was poor posture. And the other one was to get up and down from the floor. And I remember this one, one lady, uh, we started the class and I always precursored it with, if you don't feel comfortable doing this, you don't have to do it. Just tell me. But it yeah. kind of becomes that herd mentality when there's, you know, three or four that don't want to do it. And then there's 25, 26 of other people, other people doing it. They're more likely to just participate. So I'm like, okay, yeah. everybody grab a chair. Cause that's, what's going to help them get down to the floor. And we start doing this and this one lady who had originally told me that she didn't want to do it, raised her hand and said, Benji, I want to, I want to do this. And I Aww. was like, are you, are you sure? Because 30 minutes ago, you said you didn't want to do it. And she's like, yeah, I want to try and do it. I'm like, okay. So I grab, I grab the chair and I'm yelling in the room, coaching everybody and telling them, you know, this is what you do first. So generally what happens is you put your hands on the chair then you go down to one knee. And so we yeah. get her, we get her down on the floor. Okay. And getting down, if anybody's ever fallen on ice, getting down is the easy part. It's not getting down. That's <laughs> the hard part. It's getting back up. And so we get yeah. her down. The goal is to get everybody on their back because chances are, if they fall, they're going to be on their back or their hip. Uh -huh. And then once they're on their back or their hip, I then start yelling again and coaching. I'm saying yelling, but just, I start speaking loudly um, yeah. to these seniors then say, you know, okay, let's start rolling over. And she gets up to her hands and knees, kind of in a tabletop position. And the next step is like a power rock back to load your hips up, squeezing your bum and then driving forward and getting your foot up. And so we uh -huh. get her up to one foot and then she just freezes. Okay. And we're all down on the floor already. And I'm like, okay, we can't do anything. And you could tell that it was, is actually at this point, it wasn't physical. It was all psychological. There was just some kind of freeze when we were in this position. And I was like, okay, look, just rest here for a second. She wasn't in pain. I was like, just rest here. And she's like, I can't do it. And I can't do it. I can't do it. And there's this one phrase that I got out of this. I just figured out something to say. And this is one phrase that I followed, follows me around everywhere. I said, don't start with can't start with can, because you can do it until you try and then you can't do it but don't uh -huh. start with can't that doesn't make sense and she's yeah. like okay I was like can you do this she's like I can do this and then she ends up getting up and stands up and then she like grabs on my arm I've never had this kind of death the only other time I've had this like death grip on my arm was for my own grandparents when they love me so much and, <laughs> like, I love, and she was like thank you so much thank you so much and I was Aww. just floored the entire time because I was like, one, I didn't realize this was such a fear. And two, it's just yeah. to see it, you know, and then now I, I hope, I don't hope that she falls, but I hope if she falls, that she's then on uh -huh. the floor. And then that same conversation experience that we had is then going to play it. into it and then she can get up. So that's one of yeah. my favorite stories oh, so with awesome. seniors. So what about you? What's one of your favorite stories that you have? Oh, there's so many, but one thing I remember my very first job in senior living, I had a resident look me in the eyes and say, Taylor, if you enjoy what you do, you will never work a day in your life. And that's always stuck with me. Right. And it's, it, it's so true. And I never want to be in a position where I feel like it's, it's work, even though it is, but yeah. it's just so much more than that. Um, I mean, there's so many stories of funny things happening in memory care, playing games and yeah. All those memories are so fun too, but it's just like that one phrase has really like stuck with me to this day. That's awesome. Okay, yeah. Taylor, well, I really appreciate you taking the time. So this, this is great. And uh, I've learned a ton. Yes. And um, yeah, I definitely look forward to keeping in touch and we'll have to do this again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you, Benji. You're welcome. It's good seeing you. Okay, see you later. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. 
If you enjoyed today's podcast or any of my earlier conversations, make sure to like this episode and give me a follow as we continue chatting with ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Thank <laughs> you.